Morning, everybody. So good to be here. Good to see everybody. Um, we're back in Ecclesiastes, where we left off last week. And um, are you happy? Are you happy? That's it. That's it. Key. I mean, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a text from Nate later this week. Ask me what the title is. It's right here. Are you happy? Um, Ecclesiastes nine seven through ten. We'll start there and we'll move forward. And um, praise the Lord for His Word. It reads. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking in your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going." Praise the Lord for his, for his word and his wisdom therein. Um, all right. So from now on, on Valentine's Day and anniversaries, you can say, uh, I love you for all the vain days of our short, brutal life. <laughs> that's the most romantic thing you're going to say. Just tell her, hey, this is biblical. From now on, that's what we're going to do. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Because your life will get shorter. <laughs> um, are, you, are we happy? Work is a blessing from God. And uh, we're created to be productive. That's it's just all over Scripture. We're created to be productive. If you if you look at the culture we're not, we're not supposed to be conformed to, we keep getting uh, we're not supposed to be productive. We're supposed to be consumers. And uh, and if you look back even a half a century ago at the at the ads that were on TV, I mean today they're all about pharmaceutical stuff. And it was like a five minute long thing about all the things that can go wrong for taking this this drug. Um, which is a little frightening, and, and it's about expressing yourself and all, all of these kind of wonderful secular humanistic ideas. And there's not a lot about productivity, right? There's not a lot about just really being a worker in the Lord to his glory. And uh, that's a problem. Now, we're created to be productive for this reason, uh, that we have joy and labor well done. We have joy and labor well done. And, and as always, the Bible gives us so much great, rich, detail with this throughout scripture but in here in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes I think we have the greatest statement just flat out of God's sovereignty anywhere of anywhere in the Bible and the context is key whatever your hand finds to do doesn't mean randomness it doesn't mean uh you know just be frivolous with it we're still to be thoughtful as as, as the preacher says all of this I laid to heart he's being very very specific he's thinking things through we should be now it's not a case of are we going to think things through? It's about what we will think through. Now, most people put more effort into their sports team or where they're going to go for vacation or what house they want to live at. Or we're putting all of this mental energy the Lord has given us into something. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to shame anybody, including myself, but as, as the preacher was put here, that our work should be in perspective of where we're going. And all of these things will be tested. Your beautiful, vain, short life is the Lord's. And all of your energy, all of your, your thought power, if you will, your intelligence, all of it comes from the Lord. What will you do with it? Par- parable of talents. Um, so whatever your hand finds to do isn't randomness, but seeing God's providential care of our opportunities. The preacher is clearly saying, uh, what Philip Ryken points out is we can only do what God has given us to do, not the things that he has placed out of our reach. Um, 
being careful to consider, to contemplate where we're at, I definitely have noticed in my lifetime a tendency to be looking at what I don't have. So I get someplace and I'm thinking of that next step and there's no contentment. Why? Because my, my focus shifted from, or maybe it wasn't there to start with, uh, on the Lord and his blessedness. And it was on the achievement or it was on the thing. And so this would make sense of why, as a baseball fan, uh, cheating, steroids. And you're thinking, uh, there, was, there was one baseball player, Alex Rodriguez, and a very incredibly talented baseball player. Why would he take steroids? And Barry Bonds is another very famous <coughs> baseball player. Why would he take steroids? Because um, they wanted to do the next thing. It wasn't good enough to be great. They had to be super great, right? I mean, we know that, that, that people comparing Barry Bonds to Babe Ruth, um, you know, Babe Ruth's superpower was the fact that he could perform on hot dogs and beer, uh, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, that was the case. You're competing with, a, with, with, with what? You're competing with these records. It's, it's ego. Instead of giving glory to God, for a job well done with the talents that you were given. And I, I mentioned last week, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I train, you hear this all throughout secular humanism, you can do it. And I always like to say, I, I saw a shirt, uh, it's a Christian apparel company, it's got a cross on it, and it says, I can't, but I know a guy. You know, kind of a irreverent message there. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you in spiritual matters. You have all the, the, the spiritual gifts that you need to do your work. What he's saying is that anything that God has placed outside of your hands, like I am not going to be doing 360 spinning dunks in the NBA. That's just not going to happen in my lifetime. Um, I, I woke up. I, w I went to sleep. I was fine early this week. Woke up with a bad knee. My knee had swollen. Um, so I think my prime athletic years are clearly over. You know? <laughs> so, and there's nothing I can do to will my way through that. Right? That's all the secular humanism of... Uh, you know, it's all going to work out. It might not for you. In, in Scripture, we have to keep a scriptural basis to everything we hear because the battlefield is the mind of taking every thought captive and tearing down strongholds. So um, what the Lord hasn't given us, we got to get rid of it. What the Lord hasn't given us, as uh, Philip Ryken pointing out, is that not the things he's placed out of our reach. It's very easy to just want what we don't have. That's why covetousness is idolatry, and that's why covetousness is, so, covetousness is so dangerous. It shifts the focus from me serving the Lord with joy. What's he given me to do? Isn't this great? <laughs> Whatever he's given you to do. And the tendency is to think it's not enough. You should be doing more, and we're comparing, it, comparing ourselves to other people, especially in a culture where we've got social media, and we can just see all of this you know, stuff, where we'd never see stuff like that. Our ancestors would never see all of the images that we've already seen just probably today. Um, we should work diligently and with focus. Romans 12, 11, uh, Colossians 3, 23. This is a caution against whiling away our lives with too many distractions. Um, it was so easy to fall into a, a pattern of just chilling out. You know, instead of living a focused life and, and, and being more prayerful um, and more deliberate with your time. Um, obviously, again, I'm not trying to shame any of us. We're all... You know, in that boat with, hey man, I, I don't have the authority, nor does anybody else have the authority to bind your conscience with what you should be doing with your time. That's on you. But everybody sitting here probably has something, although the Apostle Paul will say all things are lawful, but not all things are edifying. To keep asking yourself, 
can I give thanks to God for this? When I'm praying and I go, Lord, thank you for all the time I spent looking at Instagram reels of cute uh, panda bears. Now, I did that last week because I got to think somebody sent me a panda bear thing. And it was hilarious. And I just kept watching panda bear things. And like 30, I'm like 30 minutes. I just passed 30 minutes looking at panda bears. And somebody asked me later, because are you busy? Yeah, I was busy. Yeah, I, just, I, I blew 30 minutes of time. I should have been doing something else laughing at panda bears. And then sending it to my wife, who was literally across the house from me. Yeah, I must have sent her. She's like, I've got like 50 messages from you. Yeah, they're really cute panda bears. <laughs> now, was that sin? Well, if I keep doing it, I think it is. I think that's this case where I've got to soberly assess myself and, and, and lay these things to heart and go, I, I can't keep doing that. I mean, that's okay for, you know, a little bit. But that's the point about Christian liberty is that you get the amazing opportunity to go before the Lord and let the Holy Spirit lead you where he wants you to go. And you listen to that spirit, and you, and you soberly assess yourself. And if you're having trouble, you sh- we should all have mentors. We should all have people that we touch base with um, and, uh, and have the, the, the word of the Lord in their heart and the ability to tell us, hey, brother, I, what you been doing? Well, you know. Um, so I, tr- I try. My own, this is, again, this is on, no, nobody, nobody can tell me to do this. This is me in the spirit to go, I think I need to put a, a firewall there, and I'm not looking at X after this time, and I'm going to be working on that. I'm going to make sure if I don't have time for I don't have time for prayer because I was on social media or watching something on TV, then that's a problem for me. And and then you go back to Romans fourteen twenty three. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And the thing I've noticed is that I'm never rejuvenated. I'm always tired unless I'm in the Lord worshiping. Are you happy yet? Because you're you're happy when we worship. Because that's what we're made for. That's the key. If a life centered towards worship, I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be less stressed out. I'm going to be less easily provoked by something that goes on in the world. And, uh, you know, reading the news and a lot to get irritated by. Um, the Puritan William Perkins said, We must take heed of two damnable sins, he said. The first is idleness, whereby the duties of our callings are neglected or omitted. And the second is slothfulness, whereby they are performed slackly and carelessly. First um, <clears throat> Timothy uh, four four. Again, we should we should be good workers, and I think that um, we talk a lot about revival. And and Gordon Clark had said that we'll have a revival when when the average mechanic or mailman knows scripture better than even the theologians of the day. Um, uh, they would amend that and say. And when the average atheist asks somebody, hey, by the way, do you know a Christian? I need somebody to do a job for me. I need a new employee. And those Christians are incredible workers. Um, It's been my experience as a small business owner that some some of the most vocal Christians are some of the worst people to do business with. It's been unfortunate. Um, And so that is a slander to the Lord. We can say, oh, I don't say, I don't use the Lord's name in vain when I stub my toe. So therefore, I'm obeying the commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain. Once again, if we're identified as Christians, our work should be very, very good. We should get that job done. We should finish what we start. We should be never working slackly just to get the job done, just punching the clock and riding the time. Because as Proverbs says, you're slack with your work. You're a brother to him who destroys. The Lord is holy. His name is holy. He loves his holiness. He will not negotiate it down. And if we're known by his name, we should be good at what we do. I mean, that doesn't mean, again, let's go back and say, that doesn't mean you have to be better at your craft than X. You just mean, you just means you get the job done to the best of your ability. Um, work is oftentimes frustrating. 
were confronted with a good number of limits, our own talents, life's barriers, and even as in the case of, say, Jacob, where his, his boss is not a little, he's a little under, underhanded with stuff, yeah. Okay, and you want racial? I'm gonna sneak the other daughter in the tent, right? Um, oh, how about another seven years? And the way that Jacob dealt with that was just go to work and trust the Lord. Um, Joseph, Joseph had every reason in the world to not do a good job. But he was consistently promoted because he was so good at what he did. It took time, though. I mean, we could read it in a couple of chapters, what took years. So the Lord is in charge. Uh, that's what it means. Ecclesiastes 9 is presuming God's sovereignty behind everything. So, yeah, it could be frustrating, but uh, we know that God is sovereign over all of it. And he gives us these opportunities lovingly to be frustrated, lovingly to be frustrated, because that frustration is meant to bring us to him. In the book of Judges, you see that the people of Israel, as one pastor said, they, they inquired of the Lord twice in the whole book, which covers about 300 years. Twice. And his comment was, in your personal life, that's your pattern, to inquire of the Lord maybe once every you know, couple centuries. You're doing it wrong. I mean, that, that leads to a lot of, of decay spiritually. Um, Eugene Peterson has this loose paraphrase in a message, and I think this is the first time since I've been teaching this class that I have quoted the message at length, but this is really good. He says of this passage, seize life, eat bread with gusto, drink wine with a robust heart. Oh, yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. I fail on that one, by the way. I'm in black and gray. <laughs> so I'm in trouble. Anyway, relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one, each day. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it, and heartily. And that's the message, just paraphrase of that. Um, the point of this, there's so many ways we can go with this whole thing, but our Father's world is just full of millions of joys. Millions of joys. Um, the question is, are we thanking the Lord for them? That's what we're made for. If we're not happy, it's because we're not worshiping. The mark of the Christian life is a mark of gratitude. That's the key. Um, and then the accountability in that is remarkable because we have the, the amazing paradox of God's sovereignty and our human responsibility. If we don't like what we're doing, we should soberly assess it. Maybe I could do, go do something more productive or something more interesting, something more, yeah, I'll use the word fulfilling. He takes pleasure in us doing what we love to do and having a good time doing it. I don't know how many times I've sat at a ballpark and just said, you know, Lord, this is awesome, you know. Um, a couple of years ago, I was at a baseball game at the Greenville Drive, and they, they had this raffle for a trip to the Fenway. They're going to give away airfare and Fenway tickets. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I never won any of that stuff. Well, I was at the game, and it was kind of a rain delay, and so there was virtually nobody there. It was me, and you had to be there to win the raffle. So I'm sitting eating peanuts. Now, truth be told, I have a problem with peanuts. If I get a bag of peanuts at a baseball game, I eat the entire bag of peanuts. And if you ever try to keep the dust, the peanut dust off of you because you're cracking them, I'm a hot mess. So I'm eating a lot of peanuts. And they call off the winner. They call my name. And I jump up like it's a price, of, price is right thing. You know, I jump up. <laughs> and peanuts go flying. <laughs> There were so many peanuts, I think they, I almost caused a delay game. I had to get out to the ground screw to clean the field. 
So I go running out there, and I'm like, this is the coolest thing. And I go running up there, and I'm like, this is awesome. I've never won anything like that. So, you know, here you go, and I hold on yards, and I'm thinking, well, this is really cool. Praise the Lord, this is really cool. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, I didn't work for this. I didn't work for it. I said, I feel about this, you know. So I'm sitting there thinking of it. I'm still trying to wipe peanut dust off myself because, you know, the family wasn't there that night. Didn't good thing because I would have embarrassed them. Um, and, and the ticket rep said to me, you know, when I got up there, he goes, you know, you always just make me laugh. And I'm like, that's <laughs> why I'm covered in peanut dust. He's like, you know, he, is, he said, you just, just look genuinely happy to be at the ball game every day. But why would I not be genuinely happy? You know, I look back a couple of, my, my, my parents didn't have the free time. My grandparents didn't have the free time to be doing what I'm doing. I have, for goodness sake, I have a flat screen TV. That's not even a really good flat screen TV. I've been over at my brother's, and that dude has a flat screen TV with such high definition, you can see what people are thinking. <laughs> right? My flat TV is not that good. And I'm thinking, my grandfather, with all of his money, all of his hard work, he had like a 23-inch screen TV. That's all. My iPad is almost that big. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is there's no American could possibly be upset about the standard of living that we have, and we are the most miserable people, aren't we? Because you cannot get happiness without God, because you have to get blessedness, because this is his world, it's hardwired into it. So when we get frustrations, that's an indication there's something wrong. Pain is God's megaphone, as C.S. Lewis said. So is frustration. If we're chronically frustrated, it's an indication. It's, hey... Go to scripture. Go to prayer. Do it with your heart. If theology doesn't make us happy, it's not focused on Christ. Right? If I'm getting into arguments over eschatological issues with, with, a, with a friend who thinks the world is ending and, and uh, you know, Hamas and hitting Israel was a sign of the end, and I got, I told my wife the other day, I know a, a guy, I know a guy, and he sent me, I counted 21 different videos to watch in the last 24 hours over how the world is ending and the Antichrist is here. And I didn't even watch to see who the Antichrist was. If I'd have had the time, I would have. But he's so upset with what's going on, there's no joy. There's just constant state of I'm under siege. That's not the way Christians should be living. Right? Um, we should be aware of what's going on, but we should be celebrating the gifts of God in every little thing. Because you can't think to yourself, well, this is just a baseball game. You shouldn't have fun. Why? Or it's just a, a, a good song. Why? It's just a hike. What? Those things are meant to bring us to him in incredible worship and awe of, isn't this great, Daddy? Abba, Father, this is fantastic. If we're crying out more in our pains and our frustrations to him than we are in our joys, we're, that's an indication that we're, we're living it backwards. Um, so... There is a problem, though, as Philip Ryken says, there's a great danger in this mentality of almost a Christian hedonism, as John Piper points out, um, that though we're meant to be happy, there's a danger because our tendency is to worship the gift and forget the giver. We can live for our jobs, for the money sometimes, very often for the prestige that it brings. Now, in my field of martial arts, you can get guys that get... Uh, and I had a, a gentleman I know, a good Christian man, he's in New York, he owns a... Uh, he runs a martial arts organization, and he doesn't charge franchise fees to his, his people, but he's got a, apparently a committee of where they certify instructors. Well, he went, because he's the president, he went and certified a guy that's overseas, 
And that set off some kind of a, a drama of these grown men who were knife, close-quarter knife instructors, former military, for the whole nine yards. This is just set the table for the context. This drama of how everybody was, this one get fellow anyway, was so upset that he did that without conf, uh, consulting with the rest of the committee. Although he said there was, no, there was no law that he had to consult with the committee. He always had told them before, but this time the drama of it was so crazy and it's, you'd think that these are 13-year-old girls having a fit over what's the best Taylor Swift song. But these are grown men um, because they're upset over everyone else's titles. Right, that's an indication. When you see conflict, there's got to be sin somewhere causing that. Right? So um, that's why in any, in any conflict, always ask first and foremost, what sin have I committed? Right? And what would you like me to do? And oftentimes you might hear, well, it's not about sin. Well, then that clearly goes to show you where the heart of that issue is. That's usually covetousness. Uh, living for our jobs, living for um, titles and accolades, we're always tempted to take just a little bit more than, than the Lord's given us. Um, think here, Second Samuel 12. If you want to turn with me to Second Samuel 12, you guys know the great moment that Nathan confronts David. Now, David, David was anointed king, right? You're the king, you're anointed. And then what happens? And he's running for dear life in the caves of Adullam. Same thing the Lord did with Abraham. Here you go, leave your father's house. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Then he goes. He's got people following him because they know the, the promise of the Lord. And what happens? Then there's a famine. That's the pattern of, of, of our problem isn't out there, as Alamola would say, it's in here. So David's got all of this stuff. And what happens? Success makes him lazy. He gets up about the crack of noon. He's out there. He sees Bathsheba. He uses his power. Bathsheba doesn't have any, any say in this. Here she comes. He commits adultery. And then she gets pregnant, and he goes, yeah, I gotta, I'm going to have to set this up. So her husband doesn't realize it's me, and so he brings him back from the front, and then uh, he doesn't go into his wife because his men are in the field. What an indictment against David's character. And then, then he gets him drunk. Maybe he still doesn't go. Still, so David, David gets wind of that, and then, that's, and then ends up basically having him executed. So here comes Nathan. Nathan confronts him, and we'll pick up in verse 7 where he goes, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Imagine going to a king and saying that. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king, and this is what I wanted to focus on. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. This is the Lord speaking to David at this moment. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And here's a big line I wanted to say. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. If this were too little, there's almost a sense of sarcasm here. What else do you want? You wanted the one thing you couldn't have, another man's wife. And everything I gave you, if this were too little... I'd give you more. You need to come to me for prayer. There's no evidence that David stopped, looked at Bathsheba and inquired of the Lord. That's the thing you'll never see when sin's coming. Nobody inquires of the Lord. The greatest defense against sin is a worshipful, thankful heart that, that's giving thanks to what's going on. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for this opportunity. I would have given you so much, as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? 
to do what is evil in his sight. A couple years ago, Pastor Phillips covered this, and he's about despising the word of the Lord. He's talking about the promises of the Lord. He despised. The Lord considers sin as a direct affront to his character because it's not trusting him. It's calling him, in effect, a liar. You despise my word. You've had contempt for my word. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? Do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Um, by the way, I saw a great meme one time um, of the look on Uriah's face when David gets to the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so, next time you're offended, I mean, consider the great plan of the Lord. I mean, there's some Christians who are going to hurt each other. Remember, you're going to see them, in, we're going to see each other in the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to love each other with a, with a sinless love. See each other, as C.S. Lewis again said, every time we're looking at another human being, we're looking at an immortal soul. And remember, the Lord saves. So let's not keep account of everybody's sins against us. Because um, uh, Uriah, it had to be an interesting reunion in the kingdom of David and Uriah, you know? had to be interesting. Um, you struck down Uriah the Hittite, Kill him with the sword. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. Again, he goes back to that. Scorn the Lord. You have all of this wealth and you scorn the Lord. Um, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. Again, still says Uriah's wife. And he became sick. Second Samuel 12, 7 through 9, I picked that, uh, picked back up verses 13 through 15. Um, there's one prayer in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. One. Oh God, <clears throat> I beg two favors from you. I'm reading the New Living Translation in this one. Let me have them before I die. I beg of you, let me have these two things before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. Now, if you get the little genie in a bottle, right, and the whole thing, and that, that's what you're going to ask, don't let me tell a lie. Imagine a presidential candidate right now saying, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there goes politics right there. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's David right there. That's us. You hit a single, you want a double. You hit a double, you want a triple. You hit a triple, you want a homer. You get a homer, you want a second homer. You want a grand slam. You're never happy, ever, in anything, because none of this stuff on earth is supposed to make us happy. The blessings of the Lord are the blessings of the Lord. They're not the Lord. And what man the sinner does, and if we're not careful, it happens to every one of us, is that we want the Lord to bless our sin. We don't want to repent of that sin. And that's, that's, that's politics. Look at what they're offering. They offer, you, they offer you salvation without the cross. That's secular humanism in a nutshell. Um, so he says, uh, For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult the Lord's holy name. That's the prayer. That's the one prayer in all of Proverbs. Isn't that funny? I don't want to be too rich. Don't make me too poor because I'm weak. There's no pride in that prayer. The reason that we're not, we're not happy is because we're not worshiping. 
And the reason we're not worshiping is because clearly we're prideful and we're trying to live life on our terms. We've got God as an insurance policy, but we're not really seeing blessedness in just knowing the sovereign God of the universe. Stop and think. Stop and think. When you bow your head and close your eyes and you say in your head, Mighty, Almighty Father, the sovereign king of the universe who holds everything in the balance, he's not limited by time or space. You have his undivided attention. There's nothing else he's like, okay, wait, wait, I got, some, I got some noise in the background. Let me put you on hold for a second. That doesn't happen. You bow your head in prayer, and the holy God of the universe is completely yours. He's got full attention for you and for everything that you say. And any parent knows when their child is happy, they're happy. When a child comes up, look, Daddy, thank you. That's the relationship that gives us blessedness and joy. And if our theology doesn't bring us to that, then we're doing it wrong. So... Um, he doesn't want poverty or riches that break the relationship he has with the Lord. Is that our prayer? If we want anything more than Lord, we're not going to be happy. Um, to love the blessings of God more than God is an amazingly dangerous thing, Philip Ryken says. We can't find peace and joy by loving and being loved by things because the things won't love us back. I saw a great interview with... Um, a football player from the 70s won the Super Bowl, and uh, he said, it was amazing. I mean, we won the Super Bowl. Sunday night was amazing. The party was amazing. The champagne was great. I woke up Monday morning, and there I was again. All right, got to get ready for next year. The reason that we give so much thanks and joy to him is because it's a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. We're training to be thankful. Because that's what we're going to be doing in the kingdom of heaven. Um, some, some of us want a relationship. Some of us want a promotion at work. Some of us want um, you know, a bigger house. Whatever it is that we want that's not the Lord, that thing is keeping us from being happy because our focus is on an idol. Ask yourself this. I remember Pastor Fleur said to me at one time, whatever you think you couldn't live without, that's your idol. Uh, wow, that one hurt, man. That one cut. And he wasn't even talking to me. He was talking to somebody else. <laughs> Sitting there. Now, what if I lose my martial arts school? What if I, right? What, what if the Lord took that? Can I say with Job, though he slay me, I'll still serve him and love him? I'm, my answer was an unequivocal no. I've gotten mad at the Lord for far less than that. I'm ashamed to admit. Which is what all of this says. It humbles us. It brings us to him. Um, remember, there's a great line. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his soul? Right? What are we living for? So, uh, the elemental, elemental fact of life that the preacher is pointing out to us is that work that he's given us to do right now keeps us busy, so we stop all the navel-gazing. That makes us think we're the center of the universe. <laughs> That's why I tell you, go, go to work. You ever hear, oh, in the kingdom of heaven, you'd be sitting around on a, on a cloud playing a harp? Huh? Well, they weren't doing that in the garden. They were working. I mean, really, they were working. The work wasn't impacted by sin, but they were working. The whole notion that we're not going to be doing anything, all the parables of Jesus, they're doing stuff. We're always doing stuff. We're doing stuff to the glory of the Lord, to, to the pleasure of the Lord, because that's what he's given us to do, to bless his saints and to bring glory to him. So when someone goes, you're really good at what you do, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, the Lord... The Lord was watching. I teach a martial art that was developed in the, probably around the time of the American Revolution in rural China. 
the Lord was watching that. And in his sovereignty, he was going, watch what I'm going to do with this. A couple hundred years from now, we're going to have these Christians proclaiming my name, teaching this in America. And you wouldn't even know what America was. But he's moving, he's moving men and women and children in events that take centuries to unfold. And that's Solomon's big message. Don't just assume seeing things under the sun that is done now. Um, and so somebody said to me a while back, somebody, a guy asked me, and I get this question a lot, praise the Lord. What you're teaching, the way you teach is different than what other people are doing. Psalm 119. I'm wiser than my teachers because I meditate on your precepts. I've taken everything and throw it into that great sieve of Scripture and go, what, what's this, what is it really? And I love doing that. So I'm always thinking to myself, when I leave, I don't want them thinking how great the school was or how great the martial art was or how great. I want them to go, isn't the Lord Jesus Christ wonderful? Isn't he amazing? He even took this and it's still godly. Wherever we go, we put our flag down for Jesus Christ. Be ready to give an answer for everybody who asks why you're good at what you do and why you're having a good time when no one else is. That's, that's evangelism right there. I'm not saying don't go out in a street corner and try to engage people, but that's powerful evangelism when we're living out Christianity. As Chesterton said, the greatest argument against Christianity are Christians, professing Christians, and the greatest argument for them is real Christians. Um, so the list of good things that can get in the way of the Lord are endless. Right, and again, it uh, could be clothes, movies, video games, sports, music, art, anything at all. So the question is, what do we truly want? When we pursue good things in order to put them in a place only God should be in our lives, we end up losing all the joy those things really could bring. I've experienced that. Have you? You're doing something, it was awesome, and then it just blew up, and it was no fun anymore. Because we were expecting that thing to fix us. We were expecting that thing to bring us real happiness and joy. So again, are we happy yet? The answer is no, because our focus is wrong. Um, All the joy was gone from your job, maybe, or from a relationship, or somebody became more of a burden than anything else, because the focus is wrong. A good thing becomes a dark and dangerous thing when it's an idle thing. Resentment and bitterness are always at the end of that fake road that that's, the serpent gives us, that fake road that's not going to Calvary. He'll crucify us on that fake cross, whereas Christ is the only collateral damage in salvation. We can't save ourselves or validate ourselves or vindicate ourselves. So if you're st- struggling and going, man, I stink at this. I love this, but I'm not that good or whatever. That's none of, that's, that is the Lord's business. As I told people about bullies, if, if, uh, if somebody, if somebody uh, says something bad about the way you are, an intrinsic characteristic, he's really arguing against God because God made you that way. If somebody tells you something about your behavior, that's a different story. Different story. Resentment and bitterness are always at the end of every fake road. So, idle sacrifice on that cross of pleasure, achievement, and fake promises of happiness. Take, and you'll be happy. Doesn't it look good? Yeah, that's what it does. Riken recommends that we grow more discerning. Again, um, as 1 Corinthians 10, 23, says, all things, are, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. So again, don't... don't you know, when you, when you look at yourself and go, it's easy if I disapprove of something for myself to make sure you guys disapprove of it too. <laughs> That's not the point. That's binding someone's conscience. Um, Reichen says it may be wise for somebody who watches too much television to lock the TV set in a closet. <laughs> Things are not wrong in themselves, but may nevertheless be wrong for a particular person at a particular time. Um, so the Bible teaches us to take those good things in life and bring them to the Lord. 
he points out again, um, if everything is lawful, First Timothy 4.4, 4, if that thing can be looked at with thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, finish with that again. Are we happy? Well, what are we thanking the Lord for? Make the habit, the spiritual discipline of going, Lord, this is fantastic. And the more things you have in your time, your time is spending, that you're spending your time on, that are not leading you to thank the Lord for, we've got a problem. We're going to have a leak. We've got to plug that leak in our lives. So um, the question is, is this something I will feel good about including in my prayers and thanksgiving? So uh, lastly, he says about Sheol, and I'll wrap this up. Uh, Martin Luther just says Sheol is not, he's not saying that there's no afterlife, clearly. At the end of that passage, it's very easy to go, and I've heard Jehovah Witnesses say this to me in, in favor of annihilation because they don't believe in hell. Um, but he's saying, as Martin Luther said, Sheol is a hidden resting place outside of life. It's just a catch-all phrase for you're dead. You're not living under the sun anymore. Um, so he's not denying the afterlife. That's not the context. There's plenty of other places in Scripture where we learn all about that. He's simply saying that we're all going to die, and that when we do, that's it for our earthly labor. So right now, we're living a resurrection life. Let's live it. Let's practice it. Um, and this will help us to keep our lives in context in everything that we do. Um, I do hope this is helpful and edifying, and uh, praise the Lord again for his word.